0: Welcome to the Bend Don't Break podcast, powered by The Source Weekly. This is the podcast dedicated to keeping our community up with the new normal and bend and beyond. I'm your host, Nicole Vulcan, editor of The Source Weekly and I'm joined by Russ Grayson. He's a professional civil engineer with 28 years of experience in land development and local government operations. He's worked as a consulting engineer, was responsible for managing large scale mixed use land development projects for a Fortune 500 national home builder, and has been with the city of Bend since 2011. In 2013, he became the city engineer. Then in 2015, became the director of the city's community and economic development department in late 2021 russell became the ben's became ben's chief operations officer and assistant city manager responsible for overseeing the city's community and economic development housing utilities transportation and mobility and engineering infrastructure planning departments that's a kind of a, a mouthful welcome and thanks for being here
1: thank you nicole it's a pleasure to be here
0: Awesome. Well, let's get this thing started. So we have been talking, um, uh, over the course of the last few Ben don't breaks, um, just about the topic of housing from kind of a number of different angles. We've taken some, um, approaches, uh, you know, looking at homelessness. Now we just wanted to tackle some of the, um, kind of the ongoing questions we see asked around the community. Um, maybe, uh, some of the misconceptions around how things get built or approved in our community. So, um, We'll just start. Um, you've been with the city of Bend for quite some time. Um, describe a bit about how you've seen Bend change over that time.
1: Yeah, um, so I've been here for, ten, as you said, about 10 years, and I've really kind of seen, coming out of the recession, that's really, I really came here in the bottom of the recession in 2011, and um, have, has really seen Bend transition from kind of a, a more of a small town into a mid-sized city, Um, Definitely had a lot of growing pains through that, Um, but there's been a substantial amount of work around a lot of things around growth and our infrastructure and investments in the city and our planning, both on the infrastructure side and our growth management plan that has really put us on a roadmap and and a trajectory that we haven't really seen um, and been able to do And I think we're set up for, you know, a good path moving forward, but it's definitely, we're definitely feeling like a mid-sized city now and obviously dealing with a lot of the problems and issues that come along with that, but also a lot of the opportunities that come along with that as well.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about more details about uh, particulars around that. Um, But for those not familiar, can you describe what a development department does in a city?
1: Sure. Yeah. So it does we have we have different facets. We have one, one team that's really dedicated towards what you know our growth management strategy is. They're actually called our growth management division. And they do a lot of that long-range planning around our comprehensive plan. What do we want the city to look like in you know 10, 20 years? Um, and what are the goals and objectives around housing, housing types, where do we grow, how do we grow? So that's one aspect of what we do, and we can have more discussions on that. Then we have the, the other side, which is much more kind of really projects on the ground application based. So anytime someone wants to build a building in town or do a subdivision or anything like that, they have to come through through the city for several types of approvals. And it really depends on where they are and what they want to do. Um, but you know we there is a lot of criteria. We have what's our our development code, which sets out the criteria for Parking heights, densities of you know you know what you can do in certain zones, the certain uses of properties. And they need to go through that and prove you know whatever they want to develop meets all those code requirements. And we also set out conditions of approval, what infrastructure they need to build in association with their project, and other parameters and things that need to happen at certain phases. Um, and then after that, they come in and get subsequent infrastructure approvals and building permits to actually build projects. Sometimes it can be very time consuming. It's uh, you know, on some of our larger projects, we're actually in discussions with some developers for over a year just to come to terms on what their impacts and mitigations are before we move them through. Um, but I think it's important for everyone to realize a lot of times it it, it can take between six to 12 months just to get approvals on a project before they actually start construction. Mm-hmm. So we're working with long time cycles. Some projects are, you know, they, they can be in and out in two years, other projects we've been working and still have you know monitoring and other things going on 10 15 years down the road um, so it depends on the size and scale of the project
0: yeah well lots of people in Ben tend to fall in one of two camps um, in my experience um, they're either in favor of seeing more housing and in development and the interest and meeting the massive need for housing in our city or they're concerned about the speed of growth and about losing out on Ben's character um, how does the city and namely the development department manage these competing priorities?
1: That, that that's a really interesting question because we live in Oregon. And I, I don't, you know, a lot of people may not realize, but Oregon has very progressive land use policies that mm-hmm. came down from the state. Um, and again, this is another topic that we could probably have a full, you know, whole other discussion on, but I'll try to keep it in a, in a kind of a high-level summary. How how the system really works is um, the best way to think about it is we actually get a population forecast from the state. It comes from Portland State University. So we are told. In 20 years, the population is projected to be X, right? It could be 140,000, 150,000 people. And because of how the Oregon land use system is, we don't have a choice on that number. Uh, we don't get to decide how many people are moving here or things like that. We we basically have to figure out how to accommodate that growth within our, either within our current boundaries of the city and or how we're going to expand what we call the urban growth boundary, which is basically that kind of ring line of the city that we can grow to. Um, and there's a lot of planning um, exercises and um, processes that we go through to figure that out. We look at demographics, we look at housing prices, we look at the type of housing, economic land needs, you know, that to have job growth and everything else. So there's a lot of factors that go in. We look at wildfire, or wildlife corridors, infrastructure needs, you know, the different types of property that are out there and kind of which properties are better to, to develop on and not how can we um how can we redevelop in town as well the state basically makes us look at well how many people can you fit inside the current city limit through redevelopment or other efficiency what do we call efficiency measures which is up zoning or allowing different type of building topologies to come in and then when you figure out what you can accommodate inside and then then you figure out how much you can expand but it really comes down to it's not a matter of if we are going to grow that is per the state that we live in that is going to happen it's more of well how are we going to grow and how are we going to accommodate that growth but we just can't close the gates um we have right. to allow it um and that's really coming as a kind of the, from the state guidelines and principles around growth in the state
0: yeah um i mean you mentioned this top or this this um term progressive um in terms of the, the land use policy. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit more? Maybe people don't know what a progressive land use policy looks like.
1: Yeah and I, I can use my past experience. I you know I did a lot of land development in the southwest before I moved uh moved to then and it's it's a lot it's a lot less restrictive. You know a lot of times mm-hmm. like if you if you couldn't you were trying to acquire a piece of property and this owner didn't want to sell, then you would just move to the next one and you would just keep extending utilities to that. And that's why when you drive through some of the larger cities, you see so much sprawl. Um, and there was really a, a, um, a strategic process put in place by Oregon to protect farmland, forest land, and try to restrict that sprawl. Um, that you know that happened in the 70s maybe the last uh, in the last century um, but that is really kind of that's why that urban growth boundary concept is you know you don't see that in a lot of other areas where you're, you're you're putting a line on the map that says you can grow it on the inside of this line but you cannot grow on the outside of the line without doing a lot of additional modeling and you know planning efforts to show why you need to do it and so that's more of that's that progressive nature of they're really trying to say this is this is where we grow and this is where we we don't grow. And they both have, they're both reasons for it. And it really stemmed from trying to protect a lot of the natural, either natural resources of of forest land and or protect farmland, particularly in the Valley. That's where the, you know, I think that's where all these conversations really started.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different conversation when you have, you know, people look at um, what is, you know, what they think is useless land out there and ask, why aren't we building, you know, more and more out there, but there are, There are state laws that kind of dictate where and how yeah um what are some of the misconceptions that you deal with among the public in terms of what can be built and what can't i mean we sort of you know talked about that a bit but are there like ones that you hear often that you're just like "Eh, i wish people knew you know understood this
1: yeah um there's a lot of times like um and and you can totally understand the the reasoning why most people you know they're living their daily lives and they're not sure of you know all the all the land use requirements and the processes to have to have developments move forward a lot of times you know people really get excited when the construction equipment shows up on a site and it starts digging and unfortunately that's too late in the process you know they're one of the the goal number one of uh, the Oregon land use system is public participation and and getting people involved in the process but it's trying to figure out where to plug into that process um, and a lot of times we hear concerns of maybe a large apartment project or something showing up on a vacant parcel that's been vacant for a long time. What most people don't realize is that parcel had been planned for that level of development for a long time, or it was just recently approved in the comp plan. So if there's a developer that comes in and they meet all the requirements of the development code, and they're in the right zone where that use is permitted, then we're, we basically have to allow that to move forward you know, the, the discussion around where things are going to grow and how the city's going to grow, that really happens when we look at our urban growth boundary process or open, opening up our comprehensive plan, because that really sets the stage for what the community is going to look like and where we're going to see the commercial development, the mixed use development, industrial development. And it happens way early in the process. And I know, probably get into House Bill 2001 discussion, you know, a lot of times we get these state requirements that come in that make us do something. But by the time people really understand what's going on, it's when someone actually wants to build something and it's too late. And those are difficult conversations to have with people to say, totally understand. And I respect your concerns. You know, there's a lot of things they had to do to make sure that it worked, but it does fall into this larger comprehensive plan that we have for the city of how we want the city to grow and where we want it to grow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on top of On top of, uh, you know, our our land use planning, we have zoning that that has, you know, comes into play. So you mentioned House Bill 2001. The state changed its approach to zoning through that bill, um, doing away with single family zoning, which got a lot of attention in the media. But it meant that cities then had to adapt their codes to that. So... um, what did it look like for you and your team to uh, you know, adopt those codes under House Bill 2001 and put them in place?
1: Um, this Again, it goes back to the, the explaining of the why. I think that's always the difficult thing. And as you just explained around House Bill 2001, it's, that was a directive that came from the state level that basically said you, you need to allow duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes in any area that's zoned for single family. Um, before that we had de- defined rules on you know, basically that allowed only single family homes to occur, and you know, duplexes and triplexes can occur here under these conditions or in this type of zone, and same with fourplexes. Basically, the state over overrode all of that and said we have to allow. It. So we had to go back and amend our code to pull those restrictions and allow those types of uses to occur in all these different residential zones around town. That gets you know that's really hard to explain to a lot of people of like, well, if you didn't like it, you, you needed to go all the way back to the state session two years ago or right. a year ago that set the rules in place because now we're just kind of following following the the way that the statutes came out that are telling us that we have to do this. And now we're trying to explain it to everyone in the town of this is why. You know, it's not that we came up with this idea um alone and in a vacuum it was more of no some things are driven by council policy some things are driven by the oregon land use system holistically and sometimes we get a very very you know um defined directive that comes from the state that says thou shalt kind of do these things and then we have to figure out how how to accommodate it um and trying to explain that to people and make sure they understand is something because you're dealing with obviously you're dealing with people's neighborhoods and where they live and changes in their neighborhood. And I understand the impacts around and all that. Um, and, and a lot of times the concerns they have are valid traffic and you know, infrastructure and all that. Um, but a lot of times we just have to figure out how to deal with it. And we try to do that in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the, you know, just speculation around the impacts of that bill have, you know, been pretty broad, saying it's going to completely transform communities in the state and, um, you know, help build more housing, basically. That's obviously very much needed. What are some of the trends in terms of what kinds of projects are coming forward um, in the wake of that bill and also bends now a new code?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um- so we're still seeing, I mean, everyone's aware, we are in a housing crisis. So there has been support at the policy level to get these initiatives adopted and provide more opportunities to get more housing on the ground, and a variety of housing. Um, you, there, I, ben was for a very long time, basically a single family type community. And one of the things going back to the previous um, question around like, how do, we, how do we do this and what do we look at? Well, one of the things we have to look at is affordability. You look at the demographics of your community, you know, both in the current condition and, and how it's going to grow. You look at the housing, the housing, you know, the housing prices according to that, and then you try to figure out how you match those up. And what we've seen, especially with the last UGB work uh, from the last urban growth boundary expansion was we needed more housing types at different levels, not just single family to accommodate the housing needs not only just from a number standpoint of units, but also from a cost standpoint and a variety of you know a variety of housing units to be able to serve different segments of the market. Um, so from that point, you know we so we are encouraging it. We're tracking that all that information right now. I, it's so fresh that I can't tell you we've seen a major turn. Um, I can tell you, you know, looking back over the past five or six years. Um, we did see some things just around accessory dwelling units, which are just kind of like those, you know, grandma units you can put in your backyards. Um, we definitely did some policy work to remove some restrictions and requirements from those over the years. And as we did certain things, we would see a small uptick in the number of units, or, you know, we we make one, one type of change and we see a significant uptick in units. So we're tracking all those right now, um, to see what those impacts are. We are we're starting to see different things from code changes even before House Bill 2001 came in around cottages. We are starting to see some you know some smaller lot cottage developments, some smaller home type developments. So we know that it's starting to turn what we're seeing in the market um, as well as you know we're starting to see a significantly larger amount of apartments and multifamily units coming mm-hmm. in as well, which is all planned um, in terms of trying to shift our, our kind of our housing types and, and, and the different types of products that are being really brought to market.
0: Sorry. I mean, we're talking, you know, these are like the nuts and bolts, literal, like this is this is the type of structure. What I hear often um, from those concerned about the scale, you know, the speed of growth on that side um, is the character. They talk about character. Um, Is there, you know, how do you is there any way to to placate that crowd who's concerned about the character? I mean, I, I know there's in those codes, there's like, oh, you have to have you know, you have to have the the, the the building set back a certain distance, and sometimes there's vegetation things required, but how do you manage that?
1: Well, I, I remember this is a quote from someone that, that is in town um, that I just always registered with me. It was like, we know one thing for certain. We know that there are going to be people who are going to be upset around sprawl, and there's going to be people who are upset around density, right? So it's, you know, and depends who you talk to you're going to get different opinions about kind of what is going to happen the the reality is you know yeah the town is going to change over time we're going to see more density in the core parts of town that is by design what that brings with it yep traffic may get you know a little bit more intense in some areas we're also looking at parking requirements and how do we grow and how do we create walkable bikeable communities you know and also be able to serve the you know the main form of transportation which is by car and how will that evolve over the years. So we're also not trying to solve the you know we're trying to figure out how do we solve some of the problems of today but then also we're thinking you know 10 20 30 years down the road how do we create the pattern of development that would support transit much more and become mm-hmm. more of a transit oriented type development or how will the transportation system change over the years and Um, And then you also have to balance that with how are we going to pay for all this infrastructure to support all this? Uh, That's been one of the large dramatic changes that has happened over the the course of my career is there is no more federal, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of discussions now with the infrastructure bill, but up to this point, there hasn't been a lot of money coming in around from from the federal level to help build all the infrastructure. Really, cities have had to figure out how to kind of carry that investment locally. Um, Mm you can just look at the last you know transportation bond and 190 million dollar transportation bond there we don't have a big source of revenue coming in to build transportation improvements so it's trying to figure out that right balance of what do we want how do we want to see the, the community develop and what do we want to see it turn into what do we want the infrastructure and transportation systems and parking and everything to be with that and then how do we pay for it? And a lot of times you can't, it's hard to get all three of those things to align in one perfect scenario that everyone's going to agree to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's some of the challenges we have. And again, depends who you talk to, we we will always get a variety of opinions on what's good policy and what is not.
0: Right, Um, I mean, um, I imagine, you know, we're continually bend is rated among the fastest growing cities. Sometimes it's first, sometimes it's 10th, depending on what's, you know, what who's who's rating these things um just doesn't seem like a, an easy job to to have to manage that and to, to have that reputation um as a city um that's just a comment <laughs> no no it's
1: true i mean i you know there we were basically when i got here we, we were coming out of the recession we were really starting to get into some situations where you can just look at our sewer system we, there are some areas of town that in theory could develop, but we couldn't we didn't have sewer service to mm-hmm. because of the way the, the original system was constructed and built. And so we, they, we had to make some huge investments to, to get infrastructure around town. I'm sure a lot of people can remember 27th Street being torn up for a very deep sewer limit that had to be put in because we had to get you know, infrastructure to different parts of town. And I ran some quick numbers. I think since I've been here, we've invested over maybe half a billion dollars in. You know, water, sewer, and transportation infrastructure just in the past ten years for a town that's hundred thousand people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, take take a take a moment and think about that, right? Mm-hmm. And most of that is paid for locally, um, yeah, either through utility rates. You know, what develop we, we do require developers to build a lot of infrastructure that is in town. Like most of the infrastructure you see in town wasn't built by the city; it was actually built by developers. Um, and just trying to find that right balance of, you know, like, even if we wanted to to uh, to add more lanes everywhere, either we're, there are restrictions from what we can do at a state level, or then you go to, well, then how would we pay for it? Mm-hmm. And then, then the third question is, how do we maintain it after we, you know, we create all these things as well?
0: Right. Yeah, just on the topic of, you know, kind of passing some of that onto the developer, there was... Um, one example of a, you know, project that, you know, I did hear some feedback around, um, you know, you have some discretion around what you can and can't approve, parking minimums, parking studies, a lot of those things are, you know, they've come into play, uh, passed on to the developer. Um, some community members were concerned about when the Hickson, which was located in the old Rays, went in on the west side, um, that their parking study was waived. Um, can you talk about that process and what the thinking was for that particular project just as a, by way of example? Yeah,
1: I mean, we have, we have parking minimums and, and, and parking maximums that they have to, they have to maintain.
0: Um,
1: and a lot of times the developers, they have to live within that range. And sometimes they want to be near the parking minimum and sometimes they want to be near the parking maximum. But that's for the developer to figure out. And a lot of times if they want to do a parking management plan, they can to say, well, then how you know how do all these uses work together, and do I need to have a part one parking space for the apartment and one parking space for the commercial, or sometimes can you say, well, that you can use a, some of those parking spaces maybe for the residential for the commercials because they're off hours, right? And you can mm-hmm. go around. Not saying it's a perfect solution, but that they did have to go through their parking requirements. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't have the specifics on that project. I mean, mm-hmm. you can look it up if we needed to, but. It went through a public process, it looked at our code, it complied with our code, and when a and through the land use process, the public can get involved in that process. We send notice out to the neighborhood associations and property owners within a certain distance of that, and they can look at that and say if they agree or not agree and try to you know challenge that if they don't think the developer is clearing that burden of proof that they need to to comply with the code. Our, that's what our planners do as well and as we went through all those requirements, it met our code requirements.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you seen more of an increase in um, organization around, you know, objecting to certain projects or, you know, get really doing their homework and saying, okay, here's the grounds upon which we object to this thing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we see it it, on and off. A lot of times we'll get a lot of public comment around a project, Um, but again, going back to, well, the the points that you're raising unfortunately that that should have been addressed or commented back when we created the policy of we're going to put that zoning there with those requirements now Mm -hmm. the development's in and they're like i'm meeting what you told me i needed to meet and so we we have to let that development move through um we have seen opposition that has taken you know every step of the appeal process through all the different appeal boards and courts, you know, there's some projects that have taken it all the way through every level. Some, you know, once we explain the situation, it's like, well, you need to make sure that they're not meeting a a key element of the development code. You know, you need to have something that is truly justifiable that that application's not meeting to challenge it. Um, we do get a lot, we do get appeals that, that do occur. Um, sometimes it's, you know, uh, its place and location. I can't put my. You know, it's not like it's. We're getting challenged in every project. I think you're probably hearing much more feedback um, from the community on whether they like or dislike the project. But to truly get organized and hire land use attorneys and do that formal process of it appeals, it's it's a much smaller number that um, we see.
0: Got it. I mean, you know, we've mentioned we. I I would wager that there are very few people who live in Bend who don't understand that we are in a housing crisis, which has only gotten worse um, during this pandemic and the the raise in rents and um, and housing prices in general. Um, Going back to 2001, HB 2001, um, there was a project that um, looks like it got in before those changes. And I know a lot of people were were upset about it. Um, It was A development along Arizona Avenue, mixed use, where there was um, apartments above retail, all of the apartments slated to be Airbnbs or short-term rentals. Um, This naturally upset a lot of people. I heard feedback here in the office and also, you know, on various social media. They see it as catering to tourists while locals struggle to find housing. Um, and of course, that was approved right before the code changes went into place. what Did you hear feedback about that particular project and and what you know, is it the same thing? hey, we're 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 following the guidelines that were in place.
1: Yeah, I, that, I, I don't have the specifics on that project, but we wouldn't approve those short-term rentals if that wasn't the policy of the short-term rental program. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are certain areas of town where, we have spacing requirements, there's other areas of town where it's just allowed outright, especially around the old mill. So they, uh, I'm assuming, I again, I haven't looked specifically at that project, but they they were complying with the rules and regulations that were in place at the time that they submitted their development. Mm-hmm. And if it we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are policy decisions that are made by council um, whenever we open up and have a discussion around short-term rentals. Um, and again, that's the time to get involved is because that's setting the direction and kind of the criteria of what you can do around short-term rentals is during that discussion around policy. But when a development application comes in, if it's allowed in the development code and the bin code to have that type of development and have that time of short-term rental policy, then it is going to move through because that was, those were the rules that were in place at the time of that submittal. hmm
0: now your assistant city manager, You um, does that include, you know, opening up the books, you, you're you dealing with budgets and um, just, you know, how much money is coming in versus coming out? Um, is that part of your role?
1: A little bit. A lot of it is is kind of just a broader context of what I was doing in the community development department of how are we going to grow the city? Mm-hmm. It is not just what is the development type. It's really... How do we align infrastructure needs? You know, new, how do we maintain our current systems? How do we upsize our systems? You know, um, and then how do we build the new roads and pipes and everything we need to get everywhere um, to allow some of this development to occur? Some of it is borne directly by the by the, you know, the development community. Some of it is public investment um, that needs to be done to support the growth. So it's more of now trying to figure out, okay, how do we pull all those different things together to get a kind of a, a more um, unified and structured plan going forward? Because we may one of the things we always try to do down here, and another going back to an earlier question, some people probably may be hard to you know, realize when you're looking at a project coming out, but we know in the end, we want this pipe to get from point A to point B, or we want this road to look like this and have roundabouts in these different places. We may be able to get this project to do this much of it, but we've also got a game plan to say, okay, when all this stuff happens and maybe a city project happens, we will have that complete system of infrastructure. We can't build everything everywhere today. We just don't have resources. We can't require the development community to go fix 20 intersections that are not functioning correctly you know, with one apartment complex. That's just not mm-hmm. in the realm of feasibility. And you have to balance how do we get the, the housing out of the, out of the ground? How do we make it as affordable as we can? Because any infrastructure requirement we put on a development, typically that's gonna get passed through in the project costs, whether it's your house or your rent, they're gonna have to cover that cost of development when they try to figure out how to, how to set their what the house prices and the rents. We have escalating land prices around Bend as well. That is something that we do not have direct control over. Because um, that you know there's a lot of outside money coming into Ben that is setting the prices really high, and right, a lot of people always say, well, we should just bring in more land, right? And that will help offset the cost. Well, so you have to balance that with what's the cost of infrastructure that we need to go serve that? Because it is it is extensive and it is high, and then as you continue to sprawl, you've also create then more more impacts into the existing systems in town, whether it's even public safety or, you know, transportation, how do we move all this traffic around? Um, And so, again, trying to find the right balance in how we do that, that's kind of what this role is, and making sure that we've got coordinated development and operations all working together with the common goal of being a city of, you know, 140, 150,000 people 20, 30 years down the road.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to your infrastructure comment, I guess that's you know that's a major reason why there's been a lot of support for the Ben Central District and for the core area as being opportunity places, rather than spreading out. Um, are there any new developments on that on that and uh, on that front from the city as far as anything we can see on the horizon in terms of Ben Central District?
1: Yeah, I can tell you. We, I mean, uh, I gave an update to Council last month around just kind of what we're seeing and. We are seeing significant interest at varying levels. We have some projects. I think if they could get their performa, which is basically their budget, um, if they can get that to pencil, then they would move forward with the project. But they're not only dealing with you know the requirements from the city in terms of what we need them to build, and they're they're also trying to figure out, like everybody else, supply chain issues, you know, inflationary issues. Is the workforce there? Can they get the trades there to build the job? Uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, the developers and builders I'm talking to, there's this common theme of, well, if I can get the price that I need to make the project pencil and get basically the financing, that's the first leg of it. The second is, great, I can make it pencil. Can I actually get the materials there that I need to actually build the project in a time frame that makes sense? Then can I get the workforce there at right. the same time and build this project and get it out of the ground and then deliver it at a final price that the community want, you know, can, can afford. Mm-hmm. And that's been exacerbated over the past year with you know with everything going on with COVID and supply chain issues and inflation. So the developers are having a very tricky time, especially on these new type of buildings and infills. They're kind of on the razor's edge of projects penciling and they're having to do a pretty in-depth risk analysis the interest is there from a demand, you know, supply demand side. There is definitely interest. I, you know, there we're probably maybe talking to, you know, 10 to 15 different developers that want to do these type of, you know, projects. When you look at the Hickson on the west side, that type of, you know, what we call a five over one or a four over one, which is ground floor commercial and four mm-hmm. or five stories of residential above. I think there's definitely a lot of interest. Everyone watched what that project did. Looks like that's a project that can work in this market. Now, it's just trying to get all those factors to work together to say, can I meet all the city requirements and can I make a pencil and bring it to market? All those boxes check yes, and we're going to see a lot of development.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned workforce. I, um, I wanted to ask about that in terms of the development staff. Um, are you struggling to fill positions? Do you want to expand the department? I do. You know, I sometimes hear, oh, it takes so long to get my
1: permit approved or and so on. So we are we're basically experiencing down <laughs> down the same thing a lot of other businesses that are experiencing what I just talked about. Just to give you an example, in the past year, um, the community development department staff around 100, 100 plus people. We had 25 recruitments last year. Mm-hmm. So that's a quarter of our staff. Um, and and it's it's also harder to find certain certain types of staff as well, engineers, planners. There, I mean, everyone's really busy right now. And so trying to find someone that meets job qualifications and can move to the market because they have to deal with housing costs just right. like everybody else. It is quite a challenge. And at the same time, as you mentioned before, development just took off. You know, When COVID happened, we when it first happened, we, we basically said, oh, things are going to slow down. That, that's what you would <laughs> normally think when something like that happened, right? We're mm-hmm. going to see a complete slowdown in the market. Everyone started to pull back. Um, we weren't hiring backfilling positions because we thought we were going to see a slowdown. And we saw the exact opposite where it just took off. Not only was it um, back to you know pre-pandemic levels, it was even, we were getting more applications than we were before the pandemic. So it was compounded. Then you get the large staff turnover. Then we're also trying to figure out how to operate in a virtual environment. And we also launched new software that had some challenges at the same time. It was that perfect storm of events that occurred that yep, reviews are taking longer, We're having some staffing challenges that we're trying to work through. We've been able to hire a lot of staff, but we've got to get them trained yeah, get them used to our systems and all that just takes time. So again, just like everybody else, we're experiencing the the same type of issues and we're trying to work through it the best that we can.
0: Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. I just want to give you an opportunity to just let let us know, let listeners know, what do you wish more people knew about how developments are approved or not? And we can end it on that. (laughs)
1: That's a good question. I think, to me, it goes back, I think, to the tenets of kind of the Oregon land use system. It's really kind of what I said before. It's really not, can we stop the growth, if we're going to grow? It's more, it really comes back to, as a community, how do we want to grow? And one of the great things about then, and why we do get a lot of public involvement, and I've worked in a lot of other cities, um, people, they they love the town they love them they're they're passionate about where they live and they're and they have joys and concerns about growth and all the things that it can bring and also the you know kind of how it, it's going to change and yes the town is going to change that that's almost a certainty um it's really you know making sure everyone is stays engaged but also try to get engaged at the right time to address their concerns in the process and you know, we're and that involves working. You know, it's good to stay in contact with your neighborhood association because we are sending, we, we work with the neighborhood associations to try to communicate with them like, here are all the policy discussions that are going around, like House Bill 2001. There's another big policy change that could be coming right now around the climate friendly and equitable cities rulemaking mm-hmm. process that's going on in the state. That's a pretty significant and dramatic change. Again, that's a whole other podcast. We're actually watching right. see how that process works in the state. That that is basically telling us to densify even more um, mm. into the core of town and where we put our housing stock and how we build infrastructure, not only there, but around the city to support that. Mm. It could have impacts on how we expand our boundary in the future. Um, and to me, that's like the next big conversation that's probably going to happen with the community. And again, it's always we don't have that conversation when we're starting to see the building come out of the ground. So Right. Stay so involved with the neighborhood associations because they, they are keeping tabs on all these different actions that occur at a policy level and they also are keeping tabs on as development individual development proposals come in as well. Uh, they are getting uh, notifications and opportunities to comment on those either through the neighborhood association and or as private parties. Right. But again, I mean I appreciate public involvement because of the passion that people care about town. I think that's a, that's a good thing and it's kind of, again goal one of the Oregon land use system um, we're just never going to, you know, satisfy all parties on all on all right on all issues.
0: Well, it's the people's government after all. Yeah. Um, Russell Grayson is the chief operations officer and assistant city manager for the city of Bend. And thanks so much for being here on Bend. Don't break.
1: It was my pleasure, Nicole. Always, always want to come on and talk if you got topics.
0: Awesome. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks.